Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode number 47 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week and next week, it seems, we're going to be talking about Stirling Castle. Yes, that's right, a two-parter coming up for you. What a place to talk about. So why don't we get started talking about Stirling Castle. Stirling Castle, much like Edinburgh Castle, sits on a large volcanic outcrop towering above the ancient city below. This outcrop, simply referred to as Castle Hill, forms part of what is known as the Stirling Sill, which is a 350 million year old formation of quartz dolerite, which, again, in similar form to Edinburgh, was sculpted by glaciation and takes the shape of a crag and tail. Many theories exist to say there were early historic forts here, however these are theories and no such evidence exists. One theory though which I am interested in is that of King Arthur. You know, from the films. Excalibur, the sword and the stone, etc. It is theorised that King Arthur held court here and that Stirling may have actually been Camelot. The King's Knot, which is an area below the castle where jousting and other activities took place, is said to feature an unusual stone circular table beneath the surface. If you would like to hear some more on King Arthur's story in Scotland, please let me know as I think we could potentially get a full episode out of that. The first record of a castle in Stirling was in 1110, when a chapel was dedicated by King Alexander I. Alexander established the castle here and was his main administrative centre until his death in 1124. By 1130, King David I had introduced royal boroughs. At this point, there were no towns, just areas with larger populations. So Stirling, along with Dunfermline, Perth, Schoon and Edinburgh, were awarded royal borough status. King William I, known as William the Lion, created a deer park for recreation 
but he was captured by the English in 1174 during a revolt to recapture Northumberland from England. William was taken to Falaise in France and a treaty was drawn up. The Treaty of Falaise 1174 publicly declared that the King of Scots would be subservient to the King of England and that now England had ultimate authority over Scotland. With William's capture, he was not only forced to sign the treaty, but also to forfeit a number of castles, with Edinburgh and Stirling top of that pile. In 1189, however, King Richard I of England handed Stirling Castle back to William, who lived out the rest of his life and died in the castle in 1214. The castle was then again the main administration centre for his successor, King Alexander III. And this is where the story might seem a little familiar. Now obviously, if you have already listened to all of the previous episodes of the podcast, then you will know that the death of Alexander III in 1289 was the catalyst for the beginning of the First War of Scottish Independence. If you haven't already heard these stories before, head back, unfortunately, to episode number one to get to grips on this particular period. In 1291, King Edward I of England came to Scotland to help choose the new King of Scotland after Alexander and his heir, Margaret, the Maid of Norway, had both tragically died. Edward demanded that Stirling be placed into his care whilst his arbitration was taking place. Edward chose, ultimately, John Balliol to be the king in the hope that John would act as a puppet. But ultimately, Balliol decided to rebel against Edward by creating the Auld Alliance with Edward's other enemy, France. In 1296, Edward invades Scotland and finds Stirling Castle abandoned. And there starts 60 years of war. In 1297, a certain double act of Andrew Murray and William Wallace regained Stirling for the Scots on the 11th of September 1297, after the Battle of Stirling Bridge. Around a year later, Stirling was back under English control after Edward defeated Wallace's army at Falkirk. Edward at that point strengthened the castle, but in 1299, the castle was yet again to be back in Scottish hands when a force led by the future King Robert the Bruce besieged the castle. By April 1304, Stirling was the last castle to remain in Scottish hands. This is until Edward I arrived yet again, this time with 17 siege engines, one of which was called Warwolf. Warwolf was believed to be a large trebuchet. Now, after the Scots surrendered on the 20th of July 1304, Edward forced some of the Scottish garrison back to the castle, as Warwolf hadn't been used yet. Warwolf was deployed and then completely destroyed the castle's gatehouse. In 1307, Edward I was dead and Robert the Bruce was now King of Scots. In 1313, Robert's brother Edward Bruce laid siege on Stirling Castle, which again was under the control of the English under Sir Philip Mowbray. At that point, Mowbray proposed that he would surrender Stirling Castle 
on the 24th of June the following year if Edward II had not relieved him by that time. Bruce agreed and left the castle. This leads us up to the Battle of Bannockburn on the 23rd and 24th of June in 1314 that was within sight of Stirling Castle. On that day, Robert the Bruce and his heavily outnumbered Scottish army defeated Edward II and the English army. After the battle, Edward II retreated to Stirling Castle, but Philip Mowbray refused to let him inside. Mowbray, staying true to his word, surrendered the castle to Bruce and changed alliances from England to Scotland in the process. Robert the Bruce then ordered that the castle be slighted or destroyed to prevent English reoccupation. Now, in 1332, the lesser talked about Second War of Scottish Independence began. Now, the Second War of Scottish Independence is going to be a topic that we will cover in the future. So don't worry, it's not something that you've missed on the podcast or just haven't covered it yet, but we will in the future. So this is, so in 1332 is when the Second War of Scottish Independence began and in 1336 Stirling Castle was yet again back in English hands. An attempt to seize the castle took place in 1337 and despite it being the first battle in Scotland where guns were present it was unsuccessful and the castle remained in English hands. The future Robert II of Scots, the first under the name Stuart, making him Robert Stuart, and and therefore beginning the Stuart dynasty, retook the castle in 1341. And it was really under the first two Stuart monarchs, that would be Robert II and Robert III, that the earliest surviving parts of the castle were built. See, by this point, the majority of the castle was made in wood. It wasn't made in stone. So up until the 12th century, there's there's no evidence of the castle up until that point. So what we see now has been built since then. The earliest surviving masonry in the castle is that of the North Gate, which was built around 1380. Now, James III undertook the works to build the castle's gardens and the chapel royal during his reign, which was from 1460 to 1488. In 1475, it is believed that the castle then started to manufacture its own artillery. The majority of the existing buildings that you see today were built between 1490 and 1600, during the time that the castle was developed as the royal centre of the Stuart monarchs by Kings James IV, James V and James VI. Now, King James IV undertook the building works at the royal residences at Edinburgh, Falkland and Linlithgow, but Stirling was his grandest works. He ordered here the building of the King's Old Building, the forework, which not very much remains. It's basically, as you walk into the castle, it's the area just on the left-hand side, so it's kind of in the what people incorrectly regard as the moat of the castle. So that's called the forework. He then had the Chapel Royal renovated, so the original Chapel Royal was renovated, and he also had permission from Pope Alexander VI to establish a college of priests within the castle. 
but his grandest gesture was, however, the Great Hall. Now, the Great Hall went under renovation a number of years ago due to it being converted into barracks for the military. Now, this is something that we'll get into in episode two of this, so part two, I should say, of this. So you'll find out why it becomes barracks of military. Uh, Whereas now it has been restored to its former glory and the outer of the hall has been painted in what is known as King's Gold. The painting of the building, so of of the Great Hall, from the outside, when you look at it, it makes the entire building stick out like a sore thumb. You're sitting there looking at the castle and you think, okay, it's old, it looks like stone. And then, bam, there's this big gold building in the middle of it. Now, again, we'll explain the reason why that is later, but essentially, um, it's it's been painted like that because that's what it had been painted like during the time of James the Fourth. So when they renovated it, they wanted to renovate what it looked like at the time of James the Fourth. So it's basically just a wee tribute to him. Now James the Fourth also liked to have alchemists in his court, one of which was an Italian by the name of John Damien. Now John Damien not only claimed that he could fashion gold from base metals, and therefore, in some way, he could create the Philosopher's Stone or something like that. Um, crazy, crazy guy. Uh, because not only could he claim that he could do that, but he claimed that he would be the first human to fly. To do this, he made a suit from chicken feathers. And with an audience, including King James the Fourth himself, He leapt from the ramparts of Stirling Castle and he fell a couple of hundred feet into a dung heap below. Amazingly, he only broke his thigh bone and nothing else because James IV, even after all of this, kept him around. James IV didn't think, this guy's mental, I'm not going to let him anywhere near me anymore. No, James IV decided to keep John Damien in his court. Now Damien blamed the failure of not being able to fly on using chicken feathers rather than using eagle feathers. And therefore he became known as the Birdman of Stirling. Now folks, that's where I'm going to leave it for this week. What we're going to do is next week we're going to continue on from there. So basically we've just got up to James the 4th. We then have the 5th, 6th and beyond after that. Uh, So basically folks I just want to thank you once again for listening. You may have noticed that uh, on the podcast stream I now have the audio only versions of Whiskey Wednesday. Now the reason why I've put these episodes as audio only is I feel as though the videos weren't getting many views whereas the podcast gets you know over a thousand listens uh, almost every single day so if you like the content that you hear head over and look at the videos because obviously I'm not entirely sure whether it works audio only but so anyway let, let me know but I will from now on be uploading the videos every Wednesday and the audio will be uploaded every Wednesday as well onto this channel uh, so you'll be able to get both uh, which is uh, which is fantastic so uh, anyway so to kind of wrap things up uh, you know how it goes folks we've got the Facebook page get in touch with me on Facebook uh, 
Twitter, Instagram. Just search for the Scottish History Podcast on YouTube. Of course, just it's youtube.com forward slash the Scottish History Podcast. All one word. Now, if you want to support the podcast in any way, there's two ways which you can do it. That's via Buy Me A Coffee. So that's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Scott History Pod or Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com forward slash Scott History Pod. And you can donate to the podcast in any way that you want to. But again, please, folks, do not feel as though it's necessary. But the main way to get in touch with me is via the website or by email. You can do that via www.scotthistorypod.com and fill in the little email thing at the bottom. Otherwise, just send me an email directly on scotthistorypod at gmail.com. So once again, folks, thank you very much, and I'll speak to you again next week. 